Welcome to Firelocks, the podcast. I'm Bill Pacek, your host from the 4th Company Brigade of Guards, and uh, hope everyone is staying nice and cool out there this week. It has been a scorcher here in the Washington, D.C. area. About 115 heat index this past weekend. We were actually out. The guards were out at an event in Millwood, Virginia at the Burwell Morgan Mill and uh, doing some open fire cooking, some firing demonstrations, and it was hot. Uh, And that's, of course, coming off two weeks um, prior. We were at the Yorktown event over the 4th of July. Absolutely great event. So happy that the National Park Service invited us down there. We were at the backyard of the Nelson House. Super special site. But again, it was a scorcher. So um, really excited now to be in August, um, taking a month off. The guards are kind of shutting down until the fall campaign. So getting our kit back together, getting things cleaned up, enjoying the air conditioning. Um, I know a lot of you were sweating it out up in Stony Point uh, just over a week ago. So uh, hopefully everyone's recovered from that but of course the season moves on um you know august is going to be busy as well i know sturbridge village is having uh redcoats and rebels up there um old fort old fort niagara is going to have an event in august as well so no rest for the weary i suppose but do please stay cool and uh and enjoy yourselves uh if you are out there in the heat Uh, it's just something that always happens in the summer campaign season right but now that I get to enjoy myself uh, being in this air conditioning and talking on a podcast, I have to introduce our guest, of course. You're here listening to uh, the podcast. You want to hear who we have? Well, we have Milwaukee's own Brent Sitz. So the progressive Taylor has joined us. Um, and this is one of the guards kind of preferred vendors out there, not only for his professionalism, his responsiveness to our orders, but the quality of the goods that he's producing. So he's making handmade, hand-sewn items for us. If you've seen us out this season with our new fatigue caps, those or thanks to Brent. Um, he's also had a project where he was blogging uh, his making of a guard's coat for himself, actually, this spring and into the summer. So uh, if you look him up on Facebook, you saw his progress doing that. He's uh, He's been a very busy guy. So on the talk today, you're going to hear his approach to, to the hobby, uh, his reenacting experience, as well as his approach to being a, kind of a new, full-fledged, full-time tailor, uh, and that one that we are very much taking advantage of here in the guard so it's a very interesting chat i really hope you enjoy it i hope that he inspires you uh to number one take him up on his offer if you're in the market for some really high quality hand-sewn goods please do check him out Um, maybe he's also going to inspire you to take on your own project um, and be it uh, a variety of different items from as simple as a fatigue cap all the way to making a guard's coat who knows Um, but hopefully you enjoy the conversation like i did and of course um, not only with this episode but in future episodes you can find all these on our blog um, as well as written articles that's going to be at brigadeofguards.blogspot.com so please do keep up with the guards over the rest of the summer and uh, we will see you all number one at the next podcast episode but then of course uh, back in the field in september so uh, until then enjoy this week's episode Hey, Brent, uh, thanks for joining and being flexible on everything that it took to uh, get us actually connected tonight. But uh, I really appreciate it. Um, so, yeah, we're f- we'll finally have you on, even though we've been kind of chatting on and off over the past couple months. And I know you're already doing some some work for some of our guys. I know at a minimum, I've already got one of the, the garrison caps that you made us. So I really appreciate that. That's a that's a fan favorite. <laughs> Definitely. So, um 
I don't know, maybe I thought, you know, let's start it off with maybe a, a briefer introduction of kind of um, what you're doing in the hobby now and maybe how long you've been kind of involved in the hobby. That's usually a good way to start. Yeah, so uh, I've probably been in the hobby for about maybe nine to ten years or so. Uh, started back when I I visited one event that we uh, had up here in uh, Sockville, Wisconsin, and then uh, like we got invited to spectate at another event the following week prior. I mean, uh, uh, the the following week and uh i met the unit that i then joined and it just slow slowly evolved into other time periods and several thousands of dollars later i'm doing multiple periods Oh, so yeah. what, kind of, what kind of periods are you involved in now? I mean, you're you're doing some Rev War stuff. I know I see you on Facebook, right? But uh, I, was it World War One you're doing as well, or? Uh, yeah. Uh, current currently, uh, I'm doing uh, American Revolution, uh, Great War, and World War Two. Okay. And what's it? I mean, what's the most popular thing out there in Wisconsin? I know with NWTA, right? I mean, there is there is some American Revolution stuff going on. Is that also is World War II and Great War stuff big out there as well? I would say uh, the largest uh, reenactments you can get out here are going to be uh, World War II. Um, okay. The, the apparently we have the the largest uh world war ii event in the midwest that's um rockford okay that, that that's every september oh, okay um yeah. i don't attend many civil war events although those probably get a little bit more more numbers than revolutionary war events in our area but re 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 revolutionary war events are kind of scarce out here maybe and, and the event number has slowly declined over the years um because when i first started reenacting with the nwta we probably had maybe close to eight or nine events a year and now it's maybe six or so and that's hmm. mainly been uh due to the loss of uh site support oh okay well, yeah, I wonder if it'll pick up with the 250th and everything coming up. One can hope. <laughs> yeah, no, it's true. But it, it will. It's it's funny though when you say that you you do these multiple periods, right? But in terms of your, at least the uh, the tailoring work, right? I mean, you're 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 really involved in Rev War era for that, right? I mean, yeah. You open Progressive Tailor. How, I mean, how many hours a day are you are you sewing? Uh, pr pretty much any every waking hour <laughs> yeah i guess so i mean that's are you doing it full time uh at the moment yeah okay yeah um, so you kind of have to always be selling to kind of try to turn a profit on it yeah i i used to do it um on and off when i had a a, a normal person's job uh <laughs> then then uh when i got a little bit more free time uh after 
quitting my last job, I, I just decided to do it full time. And then in about, I think, I think it was around like, uh, March or actually yeah, no, wait, around, 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 around April or May, I decided to, uh, make a Facebook page and start broadening, uh, my area of commissions. Mm-hmm. And and you've always been kind of interested in in making your own your own clothing as part of the hobby. I mean, some guys that's not their thing. Um, you know, when they get into reenacting, they're looking to buy it off of the people. But you you I mean, you were kind of always hooked on the idea of of making it yourself, or was that something that you got into later? Uh, no, it's actually something I I pre I pretty much got into right away uh, when I first started. Uh, started doing the hobby uh there there weren't a lot of suppliers or suppliers i i knew of at the time and just being a a poor little teenager and just like huh it might be a little bit more ch- more uh cost effective if i were to make this myself yeah and uh and when i first started reenacting i i was doing british so everything was very specific and you can't really get that uniformity from uh, yeah. just your normal yeah, you're right. I mean, you can't, yeah right yeah it's true i mean you can't it, it's it's rare you can ever find some off-the-shelf stuff well especially with the regimentals right i mean that's yeah 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 so my, my first my first ever project was uh, a wool waistcoat Okay. I, I I still have somewhere, but it is no longer the white that it once was. <laughs> but uh, I mean, okay. So is that kind of? I'm just trying to think of you know, is that one of the easier projects to start? I guess right as a West Kit kind of. I mean, I was thinking of making one myself as kind of an early. I mean, I've done some sewing, some very small projects, but that that was one that you could kind of seems like when you can bite into probably if you're if you're new to the idea of making your own stuff i am probably gonna say uh shirts are the easiest really? starter project really yeah see i'm kind of intimidated by shirts because i'm worried about the gathering around the the wrists and such you know but i mean is that not does that not add up to much in the end i mean it's it, it's still easier than a west kit yeah, um uh probably the the hardest thing with a a waistcoat is it's going to be uh the buttonholes if you've never ever yeah. done them before. Okay. Because uh depending on uh a person's uh height, you can have about uh 12 of them and then whether or not you have welt or pocket flaps that that'll add about six more uh where a shirt generally only has about four to six depending if you have cufflinks or not mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and but uh shirts are a, a pretty pretty good uh start project just because uh of the amount of uh seams you have to do and that just uh, gives you enough practice as you go along uh, of seam work and hemming yeah, it's true. And I mean, I guess if you just have a really crummy looking seam, 
you're not going to necessarily notice it when you're wearing it, right? I mean, yeah, yeah. Plus, if plus your back stitch is just a mess, it doesn't really matter as long as it holds. Yeah, and it, it's just an undergarment, so you That's don't true. necessarily have to be as precise. Although with originals, you you see stitching that is insane, where you could probably have maybe. 10 to 16 stitches per inch and you look Whoa. at this and it's like miniature elves sewed <laughs> the shirt together well i mean i guess if I mean, that's probably where you'll end up after a while when you do this for full time for how many years you'll be you'll be like the miniature elves um, uh, that's interesting i mean uh, what well, i'm trying to think here i mean what made you kind of want to, well, you said that you, you know, you were quit a job or something. So, I mean, how easy is it, I guess, to kind of be a full-time tailor? Um, as long as people are willing to pay what you're charging, uh, yeah. it's, it's, it's relatively simple. Um, I think, I think the hardest part is, is, uh, changing into gear from just doing this on the side to, hey, you got to get this order out within the next like two to three weeks or you're going to start pissing people off. It's like, yeah. where where is my item? Yeah. Are people kind of really tend to bother you about that? I mean, what's the expectation, I guess, to, to churn out some of these pieces? Uh, all depends on how much time you have and how hard you work at it. Yeah. Um, if if I have a lot of free time, uh, no other real life situations I have to deal with. Uh, a pair of trousers, well, I can knock out in about uh, three to four days. Wow, uh, that's impressive. Shirts can be faster or longer depending on how detailed you get to it. With it, mm -hmm. although those. Those can be from a four-day to a week project, uh, depending on how detailed you want to get into it. Yeah. And how do you, I mean, you have your favorite patterns, I guess, right? Or it, it, I imagine you have patterns and then you also have some kind of experience dealing with primary original pieces that you kind of incorporate into how you how you make things. I would say that when you clearly if you're when you bill yourself as the progressive tailor right that puts a huge emphasis on the idea of right that you're you're incorporating a lot of information from from original sources right is that is that the expectation uh uh i i guess so uh i originally <laughs> how am just... i putting too much am i putting too much pressure on you there uh well, I mean, let me let me ask you that. Let me ask you. What was the so? Was it just a catchy name, or do you? I mean, you associate yourself kind of with the the progressive community, right? Or is that, yeah, a, fair, um, is that a fair statement? Yeah. When 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 I was coming up with names for a a, t a tailoring page, uh, I I asked some of my my friends, it's like, hey, uh, uh, I, I want to make uh, a tailoring page. It's like, do you have any uh suggestions for a name and uh, w one of my long, long, uh, long-term friends ha uh, gave me the progressive tailor, and just like, hmm, that—that's actually a pretty good name. It's like, uh, it—it can 
kind of go two ways of uh, the historical accuracy of the piece and also uh, as, uh, 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 I guess, uh, an amateur tailor, uh, it, it also speaks to me personally as like, um, I, as I learn things over, over the years, it's like, I'm mm-hmm. progressively getting better at yeah. uh, doing this. It's true. I, I got to imagine that a huge part of it is, is fitting, right? Making sure that it's fit correctly. That's thing. That's something that's always kind of very intimidating to me. Because I feel like with certain pieces, I wouldn't have an issue doing the grunt work sewing if I had confidence at the end that when I put it on, it actually looked halfway decent, you know? So is that something that's kind of developed along the way? I mean, you already have a ton of experience already, so clearly you have developed it. But I'm just kind of curious in terms of how, how a person gets that feel of how to fit a garment correctly for that period yeah um when when you're fitting an item to a person uh it, it's, it's obviously a, a lot easier if you can actually do it in person um i i know i know some some guys that can take your measurements draft pattern cut the cloth sew it up and post it to you and it'll fit perfectly uh unfortunately that is that I do not have that skill at the moment. I still need to to learn that myself. But um, I'm, I'm generally at the point where um, someone can give me their measurements. I can I can lay out the pattern, make adjustments, uh, stitch it up, post it to them uh, for uh, a general fitting. If I can't meet them in person, uh, and then they'll just mark it up if it needs taking in there letting out there and then yeah i'll i'll finish it from there well i mean it's when you use the example of well i guess some people just can can magically do it 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 would seem to me that that's just pure luck right because you you take a bunch of measurements and all the major parts of your body right and if there just happens to be i guess an area that's not standard measured and it doesn't fit, you know, that's, you're not going to know that. Right. I mean, do you take it when you measure somebody in person, right? I mean, you still just only measure the regular parts, right? Or no, you, you get something additional out of being there in person with them. Yeah. Uh, when, when you, when you do it in person, um, you're not, you, you don't just get, um, their measurements, you get a sort of a, a feel for their body shape. Um, okay, interesting. I, uh depends on if the person is kind of like uh broad broad and slim or they kind of like are or at their hourglass shaped or kind yeah. of rectangular shaped or sure however way their the bed their bodies naturally uh formed um it it can be a little bit more difficult on uh more uh portly reenactor because it it gets a little bit more difficult um uh the more the waist is larger than chest because some of these patterns aren't really meant uh especially uh when when you're working with a pattern 
it it doesn't necessarily uh work out that way where you're dealing with someone who might have a a 40 inch chest and their waist is is about maybe a like a like a 44 if if they're that kind of pear shape with yeah um because you you can it, it's it's easier to take in a chest than to let out a waist mm. uh with, especially with this kind of time period because it's it's just the way that the pattern is shaped and if you have someone that is kind of fits that description you kind of almost have to draft your own pattern yourself because uh you, you gotta take in their body shape mm. to context with the the, the pattern yeah so. that makes sense because I mean, right because everything kind of needs to move around to keep the ratio of placement um the same i guess that's interesting yeah especially with certain time periods you don't have certain techniques that you can use to create that uh plus size person shape hmm interesting yeah no I, it makes sense i mean i'm a tall guy right so i always have to i'm always finding myself having to extend patterns and then i always wonder you know how how that how I should be doing that. Cause frankly, I just don't know what I'm doing all that much, but actually I was talking to a, a guy in my unit the other day about a West kit. If I, if I wanted to take a pattern for a West kit and extend it longer, do I add buttons or do I increase the spacing of the buttons? I mean, questions like that. I just, I, I, I don't know the answer to, I mean, what, what, what would you do for a, a waistcoat for a, a taller guy who you had to extend a pattern? Do you usually add uh, more buttons? No, um, well, depends on how tall they are. Um, the tall, tallest person I've had to deal with is about, it's about six foot, I think about six, six. And, okay, that's taller than me. Yeah. And, uh, when I, when I made his... A waistcoat. I believe I only put twelve buttons down the center. It could have been fourteen, but I the the normal I usually do is is ten, and then if they're they're maybe six six two, I notch it up to twelve because I got you. You don't necessarily need that many buttons to close a waistcoat, but as yeah. you get taller, uh, you need more buttons sure. in order to close it. Hmm. Interesting. Well, that's a good tip. Then I'll, I'll I'll know if I ever if I get the guts to do my own. Uh, I'll I'll take that to uh, take that to heart. Um, I think one of the the things that I was following you before even progressive tailor was up was your project of making a guards coat right so uh that obviously got our attention here in the company yeah and, um, saw some pictures pictures of you modeling it uh looks looks pretty good what 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 was your impression of let me ask you first what was your motivation to take it on because i know 
you know, wearing one of the events and I could tell from the level of detail that go into these things, I've never made one myself, but clearly it's a huge thing to bite off. And I think it was, and it's a first guards coat that you made, which has the bastion lace, um, pretty extensive on there. But why did you decide to, to jump into that and maybe give us some insight into, um, how it went and how do you think it turned out? Yeah, I jumped into it because I hate myself. No, that's <laughs> that, 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 that's not the reason. No, um, uh, it probably was. Um, I haven't done British Rev War in probably about four to five years um, since I started doing Continental, and uh, and uh, I just really wanted to get back into doing British and uh, I, I, I kind of wanted to finally have that laced guards coat mm. that you always see that's associated with the guards and um, unfortunately my my old British unit uh, the Brigade of Guards Grand Air Company here in the, the Midwest with the NWTA, um they they portray the 76 impression where uh, the guards were instructed to right. remove the lace from their coats. Although well, makes life easy. I'll say that <laughs> after, after lacing one of those coats, it's like, <laughs> I want to chop off my hands, but it looks so pretty. <laughs> yeah. But yeah. Uh, it it was it was just I it was it was just the need of I really want to finally have a proper British regimental, and it, it seems that with the guards coats, uh, especially in in uh, the Revolutionary War time period of uh, reenacting, there are surprisingly a lot of guards units out there uh you, you know you know you got you got the fourth company in in the virginia carolina area mm-hmm. you got mm-hmm. the first foot guards out of boston right uh there's i think there's somewhat of a uh a, a grenadier unit out of uh ohio and michigan and then you got uh arizona gra- yeah you got uh the unit in Arizona who I, I helped them out a little bit when they first started, but mm-hmm. uh, kind of keeping with contact with them has been kind of, kind of hard mm. over the years, mm. but they're very, I guess I would say enthusiastic out there. Yeah, no, Hey, I mean, we love to see proliferation of guards units and uh, we got to get you over to the East coast to, to fall in with us one of these days, but, yeah, Although, I think Hayden. We'll go ahead. But, well, yeah, but, uh, but with um, guards regiments, is you, you see a lot of quality differences between the units, where um, whether the coats are done by hand very well or if they're done by machine. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Although, uh, unfortunately, I, I've I've seen coats where uh, they're they're using cotton lace instead of wool lace and i I just look at this shake my head and go why 
Wow. But, uh, yeah, I mean, that wouldn't seem to save you any effort, right? I mean, no. But it, uh, it, it could just be just in a you know a lack of understanding, you know, about. Yeah. So when I made my my coat, um, it was, it was to the point where it was it was a a teaching uh, project for me. Uh, but also uh, a way of showing others how not just to make a guard's coat, but mm-hmm. to make a British regimental in general. Yeah. Uh, because um, I actually got the idea of making uh, my step-by-step uh, photo album of my guard's coat uh, from a, a guy you know through Facebook uh, in Germany. Uh, I think his name is uh, Alexander uh, uh, Bosch. I, I I think that's I, whether mm. or not that's how I pronounce his last name or not. Uh, he, he <laughs> yeah he uh, he made uh, two variants of uh, British regimentals, uh, whether it was for himself or himself and a unit member. I don't know, but. Uh, I kind of uh, stole some ideas from his project and implemented some of my own. Uh, but he made he made uh, two aspects of it: uh, a fully late, fully lined, uh, working facings regimental, and then he made a second one where it was uh, a half lined coat with uh false facings just like the the first foot guards uh regimental at the national army museum oh really i didn't realize it was only half lined yeah uh, uh there are there are two existing well I, actually three existing uh guards coats from the american revolution um one i, I believe belonged to a private collector and then it was transferred to a, a museum that I that I don't remember the name of currently and then National Army Museum holds I believe two of them one being an enlisted coat and the other being uh presumed a uh, a drummer coat right or yeah musician's coat right and um although I I haven't seen photographs of the interior of the musician's coat um the interior of the enlisted's coat is uh half lined although the reasons behind that it's been speculated over the years but we just don't know whether or not it actually was a guard's coat or not or if it was modified for the theater or if Mm. it was uh maybe a a summer coat for uh uh members of the guards Uh, we don't know although uh there were uh examples uh during the war or during the war where soldiers would uh take out their lining during the summer months while on campaign in america uh just to really? make it a little bit more bearable in the North American heat. 
Huh. Uh, oh, wow. Okay, although I, 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 have, I haven't personally seen those uh, sources yet. You no, know, I had read about them doing, maybe it was in the French and Indian era when they, because uh, I saw multiple secondary sources recently talking about taking the sleeves off and then sewing them onto the West Kit and wearing yeah, that. Yeah, um, I actually did F&I very briefly. Uh, in my early reenacting years, and um, I was with the the fifty fifth Light Infantry Company at the time, okay. and uh, there, uh, uh, they uh, they wore uh, waistcoats with sleeves attached to them, and then they wore their their jackets as a kind of a an over vest. Interesting. Yeah, man, I, that that would be quite a thing to wear at an event. Because um, I mean, the public, when you talk to them, they'd be like, "What are you doing?" It'd be actually a pretty cool conversation to uh, to be able to model something like that. Yeah, that's cool. It's was, it was an interesting piece to wear. So, where are you? Uh, what are you wearing your guards coat for these days? Who are you? Uh, just kind of are you? A, are you like a guardsman at large out there? Uh, at the moment, yeah, I've only. <laughs> I've only worn it once. Well, Hayden Conley, when I was talking to him a couple episodes back, he said that you were, I don't know how he was going to get one, but he, he said he was going to get one too. Was it you who were going to make him one? Yep. <laughs> <laughs> but after your experience, uh, his is not made yet, I guess. Huh? No, no. He still needs <laughs> to provide me with cloth. Yeah, no, it's... Uh... I mean, we've gone through uh, many vendors and making the guards coats and, and kind of had different opinions um, about, you know, like you said, how, how it comes out. It, it is it is a huge undertaking to do, and we do appreciate it when when vendors do take it on. Um, but, yeah, it's it's tough to uh, it's definitely tough to nail. So so good on you for for taking it on. And and the pictures look beautiful, you know, Um I, I have to, I wonder whether, obviously you only made the first guard's coat, but I think there is often a debate about which, which of the laces is more difficult, whether it's the cold stream with the scalloped uh, double a, uh, kind of pairings versus the bastion. But uh, First foot guards is definitely the hardest. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. As, a, as a person who portrays a, a first guard, uh, yeah, I'll take that. Yeah. Um, <laughs> in, 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 look, in, in looking at various uh, guards, uh, first guards uh, recreated coats uh, over the years, you see a, a, a variety of bastion uh, shape, hmm. uh, where you, you get the ones with a really sharp curve into it, or you got the ones that it kind of looks like they just blocked it together with a point, and hmm. you just and you, you just go. What, yeah. what were you thinking? And then you see others that is just a, a diamond shape. And it's like they just didn't really care to do the curve. Yeah. And it uh, it doesn't quite look right if you you don't use a certain width of lace on the coat. Yeah. Because um, the, the coat calls for... Uh, three-quarter inch white lace which is used for 
the the border of the lapels and cuffs and then also the shaping mm. of the the pocket itself on the coat and then you have uh half inch lace which does all the loops uh, throughout the po- throughout th- throughout the coat itself oh yeah i'm just noticing that now actually cuz i'm i'm looking at my coat right now hanging up next to me and i I never actually put that together that that there were those two different sizes on there. Is that that's probably common for with all British regimentals, right? To have that yeah. kind of borderline border larger width and then the lacing on the buttonholes being well, during the American Revolution, uh the the foot guards were the only uh regiment that had uh a uh, a border a border lace. Um, oh, every okay. every other regiment uh, we say that I know of, um, they just had uh, uh, lace loops around their buttons, right? Right. With okay. the 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 edge of the lapels being plain. Uh, but also, uh, when when making the guards coat, yeah, it, it, it's kind of a a live and learn process with it. It's um, while I was waiting for to get more lace because uh I I actually had sold uh some of the lace that I had at hand uh to uh, one of your members, uh Gregory because he needed it to finish his mm. his son's coat. And then I like, hey, I'm gonna make a guard's coat and then I like, oh well I don't have as much lace as I pro- as I need anymore. Yeah. And uh so my impatience kind of got the best of me and I started I cut cloth and started making the coat and I I have coat like somewhat assembled the lapels are on the buttonholes are cut and just like once I start attaching the lace I'm like well probably should have attached the lace onto the lapel facing before before I attach the lapel to the coat because attaching the lace onto a already assembled and attached lapel is just made the whole ordeal ten times harder. So you actually did it. You didn't take the lapel off. You just no. You pushed. You no. pushed through. I I was stubborn and pushed through it. Wow. So you just sewed it through double uh, double layers of wool. A single layer. You, you, uh, you, with with the lace, you don't want to stitch all the way through into the the matter uh, red. Okay, so fabric. But, okay, so you still managed to. Wow. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all right, I, man. Well, hey, I, I, I had lots of self loathing in that uh, project. Yeah. Well, let me ask you, you know, raising it out of kind of going back to that higher view that we were talking about before. I mean, what are some really kind of key things you've learned as your tailoring skills have developed in terms of are there any kind of general rules you've come upon when when it comes to putting together garments about whether it be fitting or or sewing or I mean, what do you tell people like that they should be? really kind of paying attention to if they want to take on their own projects uh well i guess if if you're making your own project and you're you're trying to measure yourself uh but also 
prepare for fitting it to yourself. Um, always give yourself enough room with project. You never, you never want to just cut the pattern out and then stitch it up and realize, oh, I need more fabric here. Okay. And there's, there, there's no real way to, to add material that, uh, that you just cut. Um, so how, how big of a seam do you usually allow yourself when you start? Uh, well, uh, it all depends on what you're working on and how much larger you are from, uh, the pattern you are using yourself. Oh, okay. Uh, generally with myself, um, my, uh, the Henry Cook patterns that I use, uh, surprisingly are like made for my body because I, outside of just lengthening the waistcoat pattern that, uh, Henry Cook has provided, it was basically, uh, a non-altered pattern outside of lengthening it. I, I lengthened it however much I need to lengthen it. I cut mm-hmm. it, I stitched it, put it on and like, okay, this fits, this fit is really way too, too well for just cutting out the pattern and sewing it up. Cause I, I, I did not need to take it in or let it out. It just fit perfectly. Okay. But, but if you're making, but if you're making it for yourself, uh, y- you gotta have that aspect in mind of uh, checking checking the your your waist size and comparing it to the pattern's waist size, along with um, the length of the garment, whether it being the the length of of the breast of a waistcoat or uh, the skirt body of a regimental or the sleeves. You always have to have have that in mind because if you're you're just going into it, the aspect of I got a pattern, it's gonna be great. Cut it out. Oh, too short, too long. Uh, but if, if you you cut a pattern out and it's it's too long, yeah, it's it's a lot easier than being too short because yeah. if it's too long, you can sort of reshape the sleeve depending on how big your arm is but uh you also have to deal with that issue of uh doing with the the bend shape mm. in the, the arm because uh if that bend is too far down or too far up you're not going to have the the fit you want with that sleeve mm. so it's it's always that aspect of measure measure or Measure twice, twice cut, cut one. one. Yeah, no, I've definitely uh, fallen victim to not to not paying attention to that uh, on more than one occasion. Is there is there a piece that you enjoy making more than the others? I mean, is there one that you kind of uh, kind of breezes by and is 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 something you hope people put an order in for? And then is there one that you just kind of dread that you have to make? Um. I uh I I really enjoy uh doing waistcoats. Okay. Uh they're 
they're probably one of one of the the simplest garments outside of a shirt to do because uh all you have to do is uh do a couple seams uh install the lining and pockets and then probably the only really hard thing to do is going to be your button holes mm. uh and then then probably after that i would say uh trousers are pretty nice um i'm, I'm actually currently working on a pair as we speak right now <laughs> <laughs> nice hey man you gotta make that money i don't blame you yeah um so what's kind of what's your what's your current load right now i mean how 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 backed up are you um oh right. oh uh right now i'm probably currently working on about uh three to four uh uh commission orders right now okay um although that entails to about about six items at the moment so it's like one order uh i'm just i'm just finishing up a pair of uh early uh 1800s uh britches for a, a friend of mine uh and then then i'm also working on uh uh 1840s uh sailor's attire where he ordered um a shirt and uh two pairs of trousers uh one of them being a, a hemp cotton mix and the other being a nice uh blue wool so I, I have those to finish up as well. Huh. And then so I, I didn't realize that you actually you have a much larger time period that you cover than I thought. I mean, what's the so you're not just making Rev War stuff then? No. Um I I guess uh I I guess I would say I specialize more in the the Georgian area. Okay. Then, then I do Regency at the moment. Um, although I, I have, I have more experience in making military items for the the Regency area than I do civilian attire. Mm, okay. And um, comparing uh, military items to civilian items in the, the Regency area is major step of difficulty. Really? Yeah. Uh civilian being what, more difficult. Yeah, yes. Very really? much so. Um oh, interesting. I, although I, I, I do not know the difficulty difference between uh female garments, but with uh men's frock coats, it is huh. very difficult because you got a whole different aspect of construction compared to uh, uh, Georgian frock coats. Interesting. Uh, a lot more interfacing, a lot more intricate. Uh, I guess tail construction. It's just it it, it just uh, is is more complex hmm. than than a coat from the seventeen seventies, and more complex than a coatee, I guess, or military coatee. Yeah, with with a military coatee, 
Um, it's very, very similar to constructing a, a Revolutionary War regimental. Yeah. Um, it's just, it's just a single-breasted roundabout coat rather than uh, being based off a, a civilian frock coat with uh, functional facings and lapels. Hmm. Go figure. That's interesting. Well, um, I'll let you. Uh, I'll let you get more production out of your project that you're working on right <laughs> now. I'll let you go for the night. I really appreciate you. Uh, you know, kind of giving us some of your your trade secrets here, Brent. Um, and uh, you know, I can't. I can't say enough how happy we are uh, in the company to be affiliated with your work so far, and and continuing to uh, to you know be sending orders your way. So. Um, I appreciate all the help you've given us so far. I appreciate the chat tonight. And um, I want to give you an opportunity, though, to to plug your your website or your your Facebook information, people out there who want to who want to put in an order. Um, again, I do highly recommend it. So where where are you at on Facebook? Uh, well, uh, you you can contact me through uh, my uh, my tailoring page uh, on Facebook, which is uh, the progressive taylor um and and uh although if you don't have facebook you can contact me through uh my page's email which is just uh the progressive taylor at gmail.com great and uh, and i oh and uh i guess a little uh insight is uh i depending on the, the time period i only do 100% 100% hand sewn or hand finished projects because um I, I try to help people out with uh the cost of projects trying to keep keep items somewhat affordable for what they're paying for but also keep trying to keep things uh as historically accurate as possible whether it's uh being 100% hand-sewn construction that being the most accurate or just having it be anything that's visible being hand-sewn that way the public can see how much work is actually put into these garments Mm. rather than just looking at codes like well that's machine done Mm. Mm -hmm. absolutely yeah no i mean it's it's just great to have another another tailor out there who's clearly you know responsive to the orders and kind of has a good communication going on and you're constantly updating us with projects that you're working on and 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 clearly have high standards that you're adding to the hobby so it's it's great to see you here and uh and thanks again for the chat and uh, looking forward to putting in some orders of my own uh very soon so th- <laughs> thanks again brent oh thanks for having me